0: Good day. In this sermon we're going to be doing an exposition of two Timothy chapter three verses ten to chapter four and verse five. As you know, we've been working our way through Second Timothy, this wonderful letter written by Paul to his disciple and protege Timothy. And in this sermon, I want to follow the themes that are in the passage. And Paul deals with three subjects in turn. He starts off talking about the persecution of Christians, how he personally has been persecuted for his beliefs, and then how all Christians should in fact expect to be persecuted. Then he speaks about the sanctity of the Holy Scriptures, and the role of the Scriptures in our lives. And then finally, he deals with the preaching of the Word as an antidote to false teaching. So let's begin with what Paul says about the persecution of Christians. 2 Timothy 3.10 You, however... Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience and love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Don't you love Paul's positive attitude? In spite of all that he's been through, he writes, The Lord rescued me, from it all. Firstly, he talks about the persecution that he has endured. He says, you, you know my story, you know my teaching, you know my life, and you know what's happened to me. Verse 10, you know about my teaching, my life, my persecutions, and suffering. And he mentions three places where he experienced persecution. Antioch, Iconium. And Lystra. I think these are just the most recent examples in his mind, perhaps the ones he thinks they will be most familiar with. We read about what happened to Paul in, in Antioch in Acts 13. There it says that the Jews incited the God fearing woman of high standing. And the leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. Notice the verbs here, incited, stirred up persecution. And there are always people involved in persecution in this example it's women of high standing and the leading men of the city that's what happened in Antioch well we read about what happened to Paul in Iconium in Acts 14 there the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers and the people of the city were divided Verse 5, there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled. What happened to Paul in Lystra is, is a funny thing, because when he got there, he healed somebody. And everybody thought it was an incredible ministry and actually wanted to worship Paul. They wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul. And he says, no, I'm just a human being. Don't do that. But yet even in that situation where people were, were, were wanting to worship Paul, some others came along and won the crowd over. And then we read in Acts 14, 19, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Can we really imagine in our day and age and in our society the damage done to a human being when they are stoned with rocks? It was designed as a a way of killing a terrible person. A person that was so evil and wicked that You you didn't want to have to touch them and so defile yourself. That's why there was such a thing as stoning. And we're told that here in Lystra, Paul is left for dead. He would have been unconscious, probably with bruises all over his body, bleeding with a cracked skull, no doubt. This was a horrific thing that Paul endured. He says, You know all about my persecutions, Timothy. But we know even more about Paul's persecutions from what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I want to read the passage because it kind of really brings home for us what Paul went through. Paul says this when he's defending his ministry to the Corinthians. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers in, in danger in the city, in the country, at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and Naked. These are Paul's experiences of being persecuted for following Jesus. But he can write, The Lord rescued me from it all. But we shouldn't be surprised that Paul was persecuted. Jesus was persecuted. And the gospel is an offense. To people. There's no such thing as a, as a gospel that everybody's going to like. It is offensive. In the gospel we're told that we are rotten, terrible sinners with no hope. That's the gospel. People don't like to hear that message. As Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, Christians, we're like the smell of death to people. But to those who are being saved, we're like a beautiful fragrance. It really just depends on where your heart is with God. Paul now goes on to say something that is relevant for us all. And it should concern us all. He says this, every Christian should expect to be persecuted for their faith. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Paul writes, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's unpack what Paul is saying here. He's saying that persecution is not just something that a few Christians are going to have to deal with. He says persecution is going to happen on a much wider scale. He says, in fact... He's saying this is important. You can count on this. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not just some Christians, but everyone who's living a godly life will be persecuted. In, and he clarifies for us what kind of Christian will be persecuted well it 's the kind of Christian who's living a holy life who 's being salt and light in society. We can look at this another way and and, and say well if if we 're never offending anyone with our beliefs, if we 're never being persecuted for our faith then perhaps we're not really living the kind of godly life in Christ Jesus that we ought to be. Because Paul says everyone who lives a godly life will be persecuted. Let me remind us of some of the things that Jesus said. He said if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. You do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. If they persecuted Me, says Jesus, they'll persecute you. They will treat you this way because of My name. And then the prophet adds, they hated Me without reason. In John 16, Jesus even says, a time is coming when People will kill Christians and think they're offering a service to God. In Matthew 24, that great description of the events leading up to the return of Jesus. Jesus says this, they will hand you over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. False prophets will appear and deceive many people. Friends, it is naive to think that following Jesus is a ticket to an easy life, or that Christianity is a crutch. It's not. Quite the opposite, in fact. If we're really living godly lives, Paul says we will face opposition, we will face persecution for our lives. Let's remember Paul's words to Timothy. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In many parts of the world today, following Jesus can result in you being imprisoned, separated from your family, attacked, robbed, murdered, maimed. It can lead to the loss of work opportunities, employment, your business being boycotted. It can lead to rejection and exclusion. In our culture and in the West, it can lead to legal prosecution, the loss of friendship and opportunities, and being mocked and laughed at and belittled. But we should expect this. We've been warned by Jesus and by Paul. And we've got 2,000 years of Christian history as evidence. Hebrews was written at a time when the church was being persecuted. And I, I want to bring to your attention some verses from chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. There the writer says, you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. You stood side by side with those Who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison. And joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. So don't throw away your confidence. You need to persevere. And then a well known verse from Hebrews 13 and verse 3. That we are to remember those in prison. As if we were their fellow prisoners. This is not talking about doing ministry to criminals, although that is a good thing. This verse is specifically talking about the need to remember Christians who are in prison because of their faith. Let's always remember Paul's warning. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The next subject Paul writes about is the sanctity of the Scriptures. The sanctity of the Scriptures. I've really struggled to find the right words to, con- to convey what's in my mind here. When we talk about the sanctity of the Scriptures. Both the words sanctity and Scriptures seem, seem to be so old-fashioned. But they describe something that's really important. Our society holds very little as being sacred or holy. But this is a fitting description for the Scriptures. They are not any old writings. They are sacred. They are unique. They are different from all other writings. Because all Scripture is God-breathed. Paul goes on. 2 Timothy 3.14 Continuing what you've learned, I know how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. What does it mean, all scripture is God breathed? This Greek word, theoneustos, is a, a brand new word that is found in no other ancient literature, be it secular or, or Christian or Jewish. Paul literally makes up a brand new word from the word for God, theo, and neustos, meaning breath. By using this term, Paul is telling us that the Scriptures have come into being through through an act of God. All Scriptures are are God-breathed. They are an outflow of, of who God is. It also reminds me of how Adam came to life in the Garden of Eden. There we read that, the Lord God breathed into His nostrils and He became a living being. It was God's breath that created Adam. And it is God's breath that has produced the Scriptures. The 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New, they are God-breathed. And this is what gives them their unique status and power. The Scriptures are trustworthy. They are accurate. They are correct in all that they assert. Why should we revere the Scriptures? Well, a short answer is that that Jesus did. We know how Jesus treated the Scriptures. He said Scripture cannot be broken. Jesus regarded the Old Testament Scriptures as the very Word of God. Paul tells us they are God-breathed, all Scripture. Then Paul goes on to tell us the, the role that Scripture fulfills in our lives. Verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here Paul lists six things about the Scriptures. They lead us to salvation. Salvation. It's what we should be using for teaching. Sometimes the Scriptures rebuke us. They correct us. They train us in righteousness. And the Scriptures equip us thoroughly, not partially, thoroughly for every good work. I cannot stress enough the importance of the Scriptures in the Christian life. It is the Scriptures above all else that reveal to us the will of God and the ways of God. Throughout history, we have seen Christians appeal to to other sources of authority in an effort to, to determine God's will. Christians sometimes look to authorities such as important people what groups of people think, what the church thinks, what our traditions tell us, and very commonly what, I, what I'm feeling. Yes, God can speak through all of the above, but all of these methods are fallible. All of these sources of authority let us down. This is why over centuries, And through bitter experience, Protestant Christians have learned to turn to the Scriptures as the highest authority of them all. Fads come and go. The values of society shift from year to year, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is because all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful. And it equips us. The final section deals with the preaching of the Word as the antidote to false teaching. We come now to the part of the letter that is known as Paul's charge to Timothy. Notice how Paul builds up to the charge, to the commission that he's going to give Timothy. It's not done in a a casual fashion. Notice how Paul grounds what he's about to say. He highlights four things in the lead-up to his charge. Here it is. He says, chapter 4, verse 1, "...in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. This is why we preach the Word. Because this commission flows out of God's presence. Because God is going to judge everyone. Jesus is coming back. God is establishing His kingdom. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? This is why we have to preach the Word. This is why we have to share the Gospel with people. Here is the commission. I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Paul is referring here to the holy scriptures that he's just been talking about. The scriptures that are God-breathed. And he's told how he should preach. In season and out, when he feels like it or not. There are times to correct and to rebuke. There are times we need to be encouraging in our preaching. And we need to, with great patience, offer careful instruction. Earlier Paul has told Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This verse reminds us that it takes effort to understand the Scriptures. And there are many people who should be ashamed of how they handle the word of truth. People are very quick to take verses out of context. To give new meanings to verses. Meanings that were not in the mind of the author. People are quick to give prophetic interpretations to verses. But that's not how the Bible works. We have to learn how to correctly handle the word of truth. As Paul has just said in verse 2, with great patience and careful instruction. Little wonder God's word says that those who teach are going to be judged more strictly. Let not many of you become teachers, it says. It is a serious thing to take upon yourself to give the meaning of the scriptures. And in this last section, Paul addresses the issue of false teaching. And it's actually amazing how often false teaching is addressed in the New Testament. It's no small matter. It's it's not something that is easily dismissed or unimportant. The, The New Testament writers speak often about false teaching. It's something that concerned them Deeply. And in the next three verses, Paul tells us what we need to be on the lookout for. And these verses also touch on why people are so drawn to false teaching. Why do people choose what is false over what is true? It seems as though there's just something about incorrect Christian doctrine that appeals to our fallen human nature. But let's listen to what Paul says here. It's a damning indictment on false teaching in the church. And it's probably one of the clearest exposés on why there is false teaching in the church today. And what we need to be on the lookout for. I've headed this section, the proliferation of false teaching. Let's read from 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For the time will come, Paul says, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. I found this really puzzling. Why the, the verb "put up with? It seems an interesting choice of words. It means as, it means, though, e- even though people will hear the truth, they won't put up with it. They won't be able to handle it. they won't accept it. They won't put up with sound doctrine. And sadly, this is true. There are some Christians that can't handle or won't put up with sound doctrine. And now we come to the very sad word, instead. Instead. 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead. Instead. To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. It says instead, this means that some people prefer doctrine with that suits their own desires. How do Christians justify holding to unsound doctrine, to bad theology? Well, one approach is to adopt the safety in numbers idea. We're told that instead of embracing sound doctrine to suit their own desires, what they want, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. Friends, just because A person with credentials or a whole lot of people are saying something doesn't make it true. We always have to look at what does the Bible say. Even if there are a great number of teachers saying something, that doesn't make it right if it contradicts the Bible. Good doctrine doesn't win popularity context. You can't gauge the, the accuracy of theology by the amount of likes on YouTube. People will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Again, here is the idea that people go for bad theology instead of for the truth. Because in some way it fits in with what they believe or with what they want to believe. Paul tells us here that sometimes bad theology scratches where people it. But Paul is clear that this is an act of the will. It's a response from our fallen human nature. It's a deliberate action. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. People turn away from the truth. It's something they do. They turn aside to myths. What is a myth? It is a long concocted story. It is a convoluted way of explaining away the obvious meaning of what the Bible is saying. There are truths in Scripture that are hard to handle, that people struggle to put up with. There are truths that people find hard to accept. And the way people get around those issues is to come up with other stories, long explanations, offering a counter-narrative. But that's not the way to do it. Paul ends with these words, But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge the duties of your ministry. In summary, then, as I bring this message to an end. Here in this letter to Timothy, Paul reminds us that we should expect persecution in this world. My sense is that in the days ahead, things are going to get a lot worse for Christians in the Western world. I believe that we, like our brothers and sisters in many places around the world, are going to be increasingly rejected and persecuted for our beliefs. We mustn't be surprised. Jesus warned us. Paul warns us here. Secondly, we need to guard the sanctity of the Holy Scriptures. People love to take pot shots at the Bible, undermine the truth of God's Word. Say things like, well, that's just Paul, he should have known better. Well, uh, that's just Jesus reflecting uh, what everybody thought back then. No, friends, all Scripture, the Old Testament and the New, all Scripture is God-breathed. And finally, we need a guard against false teaching in the church. As hard as it is to believe, there's something deep within us as human beings that doesn't like some of the things in God's Word. People struggle at times to put up with sound doctrine. And so we turn aside We create other narratives, myths. We gather teachers to say what our itching ears want to hear. But we are to guard our hearts and guard our minds and to rightly divide the word of truth. For it is a a wonderful gift to us to thoroughly equip us for every good work. Let us pray thank you lord for these words of encouragement and warning from paul to timothy help us lord to to brace for persecution and to stand our ground when trouble comes thank you for your warning that everyone who seeks to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted We pray, Lord, that You would help us to guard the sanctity of the Scriptures and to recognize that they are God-breathed and that they are there to equip us for every good work. And help us, Lord, to put up with sound doctrine, to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Help us to submit to your word, even when it goes against what we may think and feel. We love your word and we recognize its authority in our lives. And all God's people said, Amen.